much to share you about. I was thinking about overeating a lot, and I didn't. Plus, I was wearing sweatpants so that my hands wouldn't get cold because my hands were cold. I didn't eat anything this morning. I was probably pretty proud of myself for that. Thank you for all your applause. One of those for the end. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Joe.
and she watches it and goes, oh, I don't believe that because it's from that news outlet. I only listen to this news outlet. And I went, are you kidding me? It's a clip of this person saying something. Yeah, but I don't believe that. <laughs> Shocking. You only listen to one news. It's funny because I had this conversation. I, I, I read, I go into my office, you'll find I have lots of atheist authors on my bookshelf. I read a ton of atheists because I want to understand their position. I want to try and give a sides and then be able to make an educated guess of why do you trust in that process? Why do you think that way? What makes you go to that avenue? Because I hear it all the time, Christians only go to God because one, they're raised that way in the church, or two, they're just blind. You're blind. You just, it's blind faith. You don't really know anything as a Christian. You have no evidence. You just trust because that's what your parents taught you and your grandparents taught you, and that's what you learned in church. It's very interesting how often that attack happens to Christians, to people who say that they're believers in God. You can't really prove that God is real. There's no proof that God is real. Interestingly, when I show proof and I give proof without using the Bible, people will still say to me, well, that's just your interpretation. Of what, science? You trust the science, right? I'm giving you science to prove that there is a God. And you don't want to hear it. Nope. So who do you turn to when you want to trust somebody? Do you lean on your own understanding? Because times are going to get hard. Times are going to get tough. Let me share a story with you. There was a little boy named David. He was two years old in taken by his mother, Deborah, to a hospital in Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. He went to see a man named Dr. Tubin. And he specialized in all kinds of things with tr treating children with cancer and various blood diseases. And Dr. Tubin walked into the room there where the boy was with his mom. He's two years old. The prognosis was devastating. starts to go to these countless clinic visits, blood tests, IV or infused drugs. He starts to sleep. His mom starts to see him daily. He wakes up. The mother's ordeal is so bad, it's almost as bad as when you lose your mother. And she couldn't do anything about it. And as you can see, David was two years old. He had a say hi to all his friends, and they would just love on him and hug him, and they were so excited to see him. And then one day, David, at three, is told he's going to have to have a spike. He doesn't know what to do. It's probably one of the most painful procedures 
says to you, it so well that we don't even realize it. Hosea 6.1 says, He tears us up that He may heal us. He wounds us and strikes us down so that He might bind us up. Why should we turn to others for help? We have the greatest physician of all. He knows how to heal all the ills that we have in our lives. Now, that's not a guarantee it's going to heal you. I'm not saying that. This isn't a Benny Hinn kind of message. But God does heal us all the time. We live in a sin-pronged world, a sin-soaked world, and things happen to us that are not good. And God is there saying, Rescue me speedily 
be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I have committed my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. trust and believe in will talk behind your backs. Your friends that you think are friends will talk about you behind your backs. And you won't even know it. And they'll say things about you. And it becomes hard and it hurts and it's difficult. But who do you trust in? If you know what's right in your heart, who are you trusting in? It's a very simple statement. But I trust in the Lord. It's a simple statement, is it not? Like I said, David's going through some hard times. His life didn't have any easy times, really. No one believed in David. Think about it. When he was a kid, his father told him to go out and be a shepherd and take care of the flock, and he had to wrestle bears and lions barehanded. That must have been easy, right? Then he has a moment in time where everyone is going to attack the nation of Israel, and he says to the king, what are you doing? Why aren't you believing in the God, the Lord, who can destroy this man, Goliath? The king's like, yeah, sure, kid. Why don't you go out there and fight him? In fact, I'll do something better for you. I'll give you all my equipment, and you go attack him. You're so strong. You so believe in God. You go do it. David says to him, yeah, none of the stiff bits, I'm done. In fact, what I'm going to go do is I'm going to prove that in my weakness, God's going to be made strong. Here, I'm going to go take these rocks, and I'm going to go kill two men on that battlefield. It wasn't just one, it was two. Goliath, go read the story again, Goliath was a shield bearer. He was about six feet tall. That shield bearer would be the guy in front holding the shield up as Goliath was in the back so you have to kill the shield bearer first, and then you kill Goliath. Well, we don't hear about that part of the story. We just hear about the rock in Goliath's head, and then David cutting off Goliath's head. Well, go read the story. You'll see it. There were shield bearers in there. And what we know from history is that you can see the Philistines actually would have that kind of thing. There'd be a whole row of shields, or guys holding shields, and people behind them attacking. And so David took out two guys. But again, his life wasn't easy. Then he becomes anointed king, and King Saul chases him. He has a chance to kill the king, not once, but twice, and he doesn't do it. Life is hard. Then he becomes king, and unfortunately, he lets things happen in his life he shouldn't have. He should have stood up and said, no king. He should have done things. Like when his own daughter gets raped by her brother, David doesn't do anything. So his son... God, if he allowed all those good things to 
trust someone is to have an assured reliance on the character, ability, or strength of that person. Think about that statement. Trusting someone is to have an assured reliance on the character, ability, or strength, knowing that the truth about that person, we can place our confidence in, that we can trust them. saw in God over and over again. The Lord delivered David from the jaws of the deep and death, and we heard it over and over again. David trusted, and will they trust over and over again? Well, Lord, why would they trust? Shouldn't have David been like most of us? Man, why is so much bad happening in my, in my life? And that's what Job's friends said. It was because he was a sinner. Job's friends come to him and say, the reason why you have all this bad happen to you, you lost your wife and your ten kids, is because you are a sinner and you're bad. Isn't that what should happen? Isn't that why we should turn when bad things happen to us? It must be because we've done something wrong. We are sinners, that's why it happened. Why? Do we build trust in someone we have never seen before? And we don't make it, 
himself as a choice. And just so you're aware, C.S. Lewis rightly puts it this way, when it comes to choosing or having choices for or against God, he says this, when the author walks onto the stage, the play's over. saying you're on his side then when he walks in. When you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else comes crashing in, this time it will be God without disguise, something so overwhelming that it will strike irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It's going to be too late then to choose your side.
stuck, you don't move on stuff, you don't have anything to follow up with on. Since you're stuck in your ways, you're only 18, 19, you know better than me. That's possible. Otherwise, I can, sh- I can share the truth with you if you want to hear it one day. But we'll see what happens. But that's what happens in the world today. See, when you make a choice to choose Him, your life is going to change. Now, I'm telling you right now, it's not, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. This isn't health and wealth prosperity. When you choose God, your life changes. In fact, your mind changes to the things of God, not the things of this world. In fact, when you choose God, your heart changes to the things of God, not the things of the world. When you choose God, your will starts to change to the things of God, not to the things of the world. In fact, one of the core values here at Moline Baptist Church in Romans chapter 12, it says this, verse 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's one of our core values here at Moline. My prayer for all of you is that you would have that mind change. Not be conformed to the world any longer, but you would be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And the only way you can know the mind of God is to read the Word of God and pray to God and talk to other believers who know God because we're on a journey and this is a, a, a marathon. It's a life run someone who's running a marathon, it's a very lonely run. But you're doing it. And if you're by yourself out in the fields and everyone else is over here, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a daunting, hard task. But if you're running a marathon that's actually more like a relay race, you can have somebody passing a baton to you who knows what they've been doing, how far they got, how did you get this far, they can tell you those things. And you can be receiving that baton and then you can be passing it on to the other people running the same race. And by the way, whether you're tuned like David, like you're tuned like David, or you're in your 40s at melanoma, or you're in your 90s, you're on a journey, and God is saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. I want you to be in relationship with me. God says, choose me. started hitting on your wife, would you be okay with it, guys? If someone started hitting on your husband, would you be okay with it, girls? Why not? Because you trust him. See, Satan is hitting on all of us. He's trying to entice us away from God. He's trying to pull us to these different things, away from God. In fact, when he tempts Jesus in the desert, the scriptures. He tries to use something to entice Jesus away from God, and the way that Jesus fought Satan in the desert was how? By the word. Does anyone know? Words. The scriptures. Knew the content of the scriptures and the context of the verses, and he understood how Satan would use 98% truth and that 2% twisted lie to try and get Satan or Jesus to 
choose something different than God. Here, turn these stones into bread and eat, because I know you're hungry. You can do it. God loves you. But what does Jesus say? I get all my data from God. And we, as we make a choice to have that relationship with this Father, we are saying to Him, you and I have to make a choice on whether we're going to follow and obey, or are we going to continue on the same path that we've always gone on? Which is why it leads to the place that none of us want to go to. None of us should want to go to a place that is opposite God. In fact, I know someone who said to me, yeah, I'm going to hell anyway. I'm okay with it. I'm just trying to get on there first, and all my friends can be with me. It's not going to be one for you, is it? All I can say is that it is going to be really, really, really bad. I actually had a pastor friend stuff. People don't want to hear that anymore. That's all old school stuff. Don't You know what? I'm going to preach the truth, guys. Hell is not a fun place. Hell is an absolute horrendous place. In fact, if you want, go read Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. You will find Jesus not talking about a parable there. He's not referring to a parable. He's actually referring to an actual event between a man named Lazarus is poor and a rich man. Jesus is talking about something that's actually happened. And he's sharing it with the Pharisees. And he's telling them, guys, this is what hell and heaven is going to be like. The guy in hell, the rich man, he's so tormented and pained and needing water, he still thinks he commands the poor man. He's like Abraham. Tell Lazarus to just dip his finger in water and, and, and release my, my quench and my, my, my drink. I, I'm so thirsty. This place is just really horrendous. There's no crossing over, Abraham says to him. There's no crossing over. You've made your choice. You got everything you wanted. The guy down there, that poor man, Lazarus, he's now in the bosom of Abraham because he chose me. He chose Jesus. He chose God. Some people would take that message to mean, well, if you're rich, you're going to burn in hell, and if you're poor, God's going to take you to heaven. That's not the message at all. The message is heaven is real and hell is real, and I'm telling you right now, you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. Who are you going to choose? Who are you going to trust in? What work are you going to trust in? Because here's something that's interesting. Look at what it does for David when he continues to choose the Lord over man. Verse 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my afflictions. You have known the distresses of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hands of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Now, here's interesting, he prays a very important prayer here in his journey on trusting the Lord. Listen to it. Verse 9, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasting away from grief. My soul and my body also. My life is spent with sorrow. My ears with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquities. David knows what's going on. So do you. So do I. And my bones are wasting away. 
because of all my adversities, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. Verse 12, I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whisperings of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you. You are my God. Many times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. To be entirely at the disposal of God in life, His life and living in us. Some people say it's this restriction that we put on ourselves, that we can't have fun, that God's a cosmic killjoy. No, to be entirely at the disposal of God is life and liberty for us. There is nothing better than to be able to say, you are my God. In fact, Charles Spurgeon put it this way.
my age. I didn't think that way. I thought 70 and 80 was super old. And I went through the years, I was like, man, that's way old. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. I'm going to go get, go to college. I'm going to get a girlfriend. I'm going to get a car. I'm going to make millions, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff is just way old. I don't need to worry about retirement stuff. Now I'm in my mid-40s going, man, 70 is young.
us. You will always welcome me. I can't give you all the right answers. I can tell you this much, though. As someone who is a relative to you, as someone who cares, I love you and I hope you pray for me every week. Thank you, Jim.
because you never know what people are thinking or going to do, but you can learn to trust inch by inch, step by step, by giving yourself simple, and I know it's not that easy, but it's a choice. David chose you. We choose you. Lord, who are we trusting with today? Pray, God, that you would trust me. Lord, I pray that you would choose me. I pray that those who are here who don't know you would come to know you truly by fully giving everything they have to you. It's not easy. Say